The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast with your host, Nick Bat. Sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way. And Bruce Nolan. I once worked with a guy for three years and never learned his name. Best friend I ever had. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Nick is still not here, so I'm still sitting in the wrong chair, but I've been sitting here long enough that there's a nice kind of like imprint where my rear end's supposed to be. It's getting nice and warm and comfortable, but I have sitting to my right, metaphorically speaking, virtually speaking, is Greg Tomset, cover one Buffalo. Greg, thanks for being part of the Greg and Nolan show. I understand we're breaking up the alliteration, but I appreciate you being here. I love it. I, I, I will do my best Nick impersonation and uh, looking forward to having the opportunity to leave my own butt impression in Nick's seat and make it uncomfortable for him when he gets back. I really don't know what a Nick impression would sound like. This is actually the first time I've actually thought about it. What I think, I think he uses the words ought to. Like what we ought to think. I think he uses that quite a bit. So let's just try and you know fl- slip that in as much as we possibly can into I'll, the podcast. I'll work in ought. I'll work in good morrow. I'll eat some oh, mild yes. wings. I'll, yes. I'll you know I'll, I'll just cover the whole spectrum. Yes. Well, well, well thought of, Mr. Tom said. So we don't know what's going to happen on this podcast because we're still right now in the middle of the bean hours. Right now, it is nine oh nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On Thursday the 19th, which is officially the beanie hour this week. So I'm trying to keep my left eye open on Twitter during this discussion in the event that breaking news occurs. Now, Nate and I got lucky last night and we didn't have anything happen, but I'm not sure if that's lucky or unlucky because it would be kind of fun to react in real time to something significant that happened. You know, watch they'll sign a punter or something and I'll lose my mind. But what we're going to talk about today is we're not going to talk about reactions. We're not going to talk about things that have already happened. Instead, that's the past. We're going to talk about the future now. 
we're going to talk about the future, the moves that are still to make, not moves already made. Specifically, now that the finances have started to dwindle for the bills, now that they've landed the fish that ideally they wanted to land, now that their targeted players that we know of so far are under reported contract because they're not officially allowed to announce it. Where does that leave us with the finite resources we have left? Extensions, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Richard Higgins, all these things kicked around the Twitterverse today and social media in general. We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the impact that the maneuvers have had on the draft, aside from just not having a first round pick. And then we are going to rank our remaining needs as far as most necessary to fill versus least necessary to fill. Greg, are you ready, my friend? I am as ready as I'm going to be. And I, I will say, I can speak from experience. I was recording live with uh, Pat Moran, who, who I know you guys are familiar with, and was on the uh, Moranalytics show. And we were talking about quitting Spain and how it had been a slow night. And, you know, hey, we just had our first move and it's only AJ Klein. And while we were recording live, the Stefan Diggs news came across and you got our legitimate live reaction while recording. And I went back and listened and it was hysterical. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. So I, I wish that kind of good luck upon us. I have a feeling that the bills after dark movement that we've gotten the last couple nights is, is probably settled down a bit, but uh, looking forward to it either way. Well, if you out there in the, the Buffalo mafia, the bills mafia universe have not heard Greg on Pat Moran's podcast. Make sure to look up the Moranalytics podcast in your wherever you're listening to this podcast. Look at the one with Greg Tomset. Click on it. You can hear some live reaction, some organic reaction. Always a good time. So, Greg, we don't have all the money in the world anymore. We used Very to have much so. pretty much all the money in the world. I mean, but it's be amazing how fast a perceived 80 or 90 mil can go. You know, I mentioned on on Twitter early in the year that, you know, 90 million isn't as much as people think it is. You can't extend Jordan Phillips, Shaq, Trey, Poyer, sign all your free agents, sign, sign Spain, sign the draft picks, you know, get Yannick and Gakwe. You can't do all of this at one time. And at some point, decisions have to be made. And so now there was some interesting discussion on Twitter and the social universe today about the remaining players we have left that are coming up on the ends of their contract, namely Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, and to a lesser extent, Tredavious White, because he has next year, but then he's got the fifth year option, which everyone pretty much expects the bills to pick up at this point. Let me ask you, as you're trying to allocate this money, what are you thinking as far as what you want to happen? and what you think will happen predictively when it comes to an extension. Are we going to see one, two, three more extensions this offseason for the players I just mentioned? So I think I always like the way that you separate that. And I will say, I think we will have two out of three. I wish we had three out of three. Um, you had mentioned earlier, and I think some fans get a little confused with the semantics of there there is no question whether the bills are going to exercise the fifth year option it is an absolute locked you know carved in stone written in pen you you can choose your your path um the idea of whether we're going to do that is absolutely not in play 
the reason that it sometimes gets confusing is that you'll often see teams announce an extension along with exercising the fifth year option. Eddie Jackson, the safety for the Bears, was a good example. They announced it all together in one movement. It triggered it into the next deal, and it's really a one-year, fifth-year option exercised and a four-year extension announced as a five-year deal. I hope that that's what we get, and and I would love to see that because I think literally every day you wait, Trey's going to cost more money. Now, relatively, whether he costs $16.25 million or $18.5 million doesn't really matter. We're going to be spending that much money. And then when you're talking about that difference in a year to year cap standpoint of, you know, two to two and a half million, that's, that's in all honesty, an immaterial number. So I don't actually care. And for me, I like the idea that the message gets sent that, hey, you can get drafted in Buffalo, play really well, and then become the highest paid player at your position. I think that's a great message to send. So, Selfishly, I'd like the extra two and a half million because once you wait for Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Lattimore and Jalen Ramsey to all sign their extensions, they're all going to try to one up each other by the quarter of a million that each of them are going to try to do. So, by you know, Byron Jones already set it up there pretty high. Darius Slade just came in just under that, I think 16.67 or 16.5, mm-hmm. depending on the numbers of the extension Philly gave him with their deal today. So it's already 16 and a half or 17. So it's really whether it's 17 or 18 and a half. I don't know there's a huge risk. You know, as soon as that date comes up here sometime between now and just after the draft, we have a trigger where we have to decide on the fifth year option. They will announce that. I think it might kick that can to next year. I hope they extend him, but I'm going to predict that they wait and do the extension with Trey maybe during the season, more likely early next spring when he's still fully under contract for all the 21. For the other two, I would say I I do think we're going to see them both, and we can talk through those in a little bit more detail. I I do think we'll we'll see both Milano and Dawkins extended between now and, say, mid-May. Okay, so let's assume for a second that we're going to wait on the Tredavious White or that Tredavious White's agents is going to wait. I mean, that's what I, we're I, and I'm assuming about. it's more on their side than ours. So let's assume that they say, you know what, Buffalo, we don't really want to talk right now. We'll get back to you next spring after three or four more people have probably set the market at that particular position. Now you've got Milano, you've got Dawkins. Which one of those two are you prioritizing and why? So in preparation for the show, it was really a good exercise to step back and think about it because I think it's a good exercise in talent, impact, positional value. You know, in in a vacuum, I think Matt Milano is a better weak side linebacker than Deion Dawkins is a left tackle. Left tackles are more important than weak side linebackers. So <laughs> Exactly. It nets out fairly evenly seeing what some of these other tackles are getting paid on the open market. And, you know, a not really sure what he is. You know, Eric Flowers got 10 million a year. George Fant got 10 million a year. Uh, DJ Humphreys got 15 million from Arizona. You know, I just the option of replacing Dawkins is so hard. And this window that we obviously have seen with the other moves, we are capitalizing on this third and fourth and fifth year of Josh Allen's contract. 
I don't want to roll the dice that, hey, let's hope we can get a left tackle on top of the fact we don't have a first round pick anymore. So I just think the alternative to not extending Dawkins is worth is worse than any reasonable option to replace him. So that scarcity is why left tackles are, are so valuable. So he would be the higher priority, even though I think Matt Milano is better at his position than Dion is. And that's not a slight. I think Dion's a good above average left tackle. I don't think he's special or elite. I think he's good to above average. And unfortunately for all the Bills fans, you need to brace yourself. Good to slightly above average costs $15 million now. So it's going to be five years and $75 million. I tend to agree with you on that. I look at this draft class for tackles and how great it is. And I am reminding myself not to get distracted because historically it has not been like this. There is a significant problem with offensive line talent coming into the NFL right now. And it's not like it used to be where you could have four or five tackles go in the first round and they plugged in the NFL ready. That's not the way it is. There is a problem with offensive line talent in the NFL. And this tackle class, do not allow this tackle class, Bruce, to mess with your idea of where you can find or the ease at which you can find a good quality left tackle. However, Matt Milano was a fifth round pick. Matt Milano is a good athlete. I'm not saying we shouldn't extend Matt Milano. I'm saying I think it'd be easier to find another Matt Milano than it would be another Deion Dawkins. In addition, not finding another Matt Milano is bad. Not finding another Deion Dawkins is catastrophic. And that's one of the things that I was mulling around in my mind. I had tendency to kind of wonder about the scarcity and the dearth of talent and things like that. And I came down on the same side you came down on. So you're extending Dawkins. Are you just at this point writing him a check for DJ Humphrey's money? Is that what's happening with Deion Dawkins? Or is he going to command 16 million a year? Because he's going to look at George Fant and go, George Fant isn't even that good. And he got 10 million a year. Now, maybe everyone pretty much knows that the Jets are, you know, paying the Jets tax right now for not getting, not being able to get good quality players at reasonable prices. But has the market gone a little, little bat crap crazy for left tackles now? So one, let's take a moment here to laugh at the, the fact that the Jets are now the rabbit the agents use to chase the money around the market like the Bills used to be. Let, let's just take just a moment to, to see it. Just let it wash over you. Take it all in. Um, separate from that, there's been a handful of other deals that I think um, I'll, I'll say Jack Conklin only getting 14 million is reassuring. If that number was 18 million, that's a number Deion Dawkins' agent was going to wave around. So I'm going to hold on to that, that the top tackle price in this market is at 14 million. And that, you know, Deion doesn't have any accolades for his agent to wave around to try to price that up. So I think that the bills come in at 14. I think his agent asked for 16. I think they settle on 15. And that's really where the number is going to be. Anything better than that is simply, you know, normal being witchcraft. But again, I actually think there's some value in the number being healthy for the players who came in, have fully bought in like Dion and Trey are by far the easiest ones. They're so active on social media and the team's marketing push and around, you know, you know, team voted captains and all those kind of pieces that 
that carries a ton of weight that, hey, you can come here, you do the work, you buy in, you get rewarded. The actual financial benefit that someone like you or I who, who you know, kind of nerd out in some of the numbers sometimes we're like, oh, look, Bean got him for 14.25 and they're going to pay their guy 15.25. In the grand scheme of things, the message of, hey, look, Dion made 15 million, that might carry more wa- more weight with the next free agent, the next guy looking to extend the message in the locker room as the 750 grand nets out to actual benefit. Now, you can't do that over and over again. At some point, you can't just err on the side of, hey, we want to make it look good. But there's a couple of these that, you know, it, it, we'll flip back to Trey. If Marlon Humphreys now beats Byron Jones with 17.25 and Marcus Latimer beats him with 17.5 and Jalen Ramsey gets 17.75, I am 1,000% good with Trey White getting 18 and being the highest paid corner in the league because the net difference of him being like, oh, man, we could have got him for 16.75, it just doesn't matter. It's just not a material number. And again, we you can't do it over and over again. There's a limit to that. But I like the idea that he's going to be the highest paid of those guys because he's earned that. So, you know, for some of those things, I think it's right in there. Dion also has a pretty a good clean health build health. He, he's been a healthy player who's remained active. He's at a position that isn't, you know, fraught with crazy. It's not a running back or a linebacker. Um, I think that you and I talked about this in some private uh, the DMs about the deal we saw for Jordan Poyer and that I do think that'll be a difference between Dawkins and Milano for Dawkins. I think you probably can do kind of a bigger signing bonus for Trey White. I think you could do a bigger signing bonus because the likelihood of them seeing the life of that deal is higher at corner and left tackle than it is at safety and linebacker for linebacker. I would expect uh, Milano to have more of a Dawkins deal or more, sorry, more of a Poyer deal with a roster bonus that comes up right now eats the bigger chunk and defer, you know, doesn't kick anything down the line of a signing bonus just in case, you know, he is someone whose ankle was pointing the wrong way about 15 months ago that, you know, just in case you're able to move on if you need to. One of the things I think is interesting about Deion Dawkins is how quickly we change and how quickly we forget. <laughs> yeah. Deion Dawkins went from last off season at this time, there was a significant debate as to whether or not we should draft Jonah Williams and kick Deion Dawkins over to the right side or even inside to guard. We went from we need to expend our most valuable draft resource, a first round pick on this position to no thanks. I'm not interested in Trent Williams. I think we're good here in a year, Greg. That it's that's a quick flabbergasting move. to me. <laughs> it, I think that it also speaks to the value of continuity and an offensive line as a unit. And that I think it's fairly reasonable now seeing 2019 with Quentin Spain and Mitch Morris next to him, that if we had have seen Richie Incognito maintain his, his, you know, mental health uh, and, and emotional status and Eric would not struggle with the neck injury. I don't think we would have seen that degradation that we saw in 2018. I think it's reasonable to assume that now that that was unfairly heavily influenced by trying to carry a revolving door where your best option was Vlad Dukas. And that, you know, whether that is somewhat of a reflection that, Hey, 
shouldn't our left tackle be the one carrying the other guys? I, I think there's probably somewhere in there baked in there is a, a fair point that maybe he should have been able to pick them up further. But now seeing him play with competence alongside him and incognito in Spain obviously shows that he's capable of performing at an above average level if he has anything competent next to him. So I think people are going to be a little surprised when Matt Milano either signs his extension with Buffalo or moves on in the free agent market and gets paid because I don't think he's viewed as being an overly sexy player for this team, but Shaq Thompson, you just may want to listen. You may want to uh, check with some female bills fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sexy <laughs> player. I probably should have worded that a little bit. I, I actually though, hear that fairly often. I was like, Oh, apparently he's popular though. I will say this, you know, Stefan Diggs is a very handsome man. And so there's a new face in town. Now there you go. There you go. My wife saw Stefan Diggs on uh, family feud and she was like, I like that guy. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sure you do. So he's a handsome man. So there is that to consider. His, his, I think he was wearing like a like a powder blue suit or something. He was he was looking he good. He is well dressed. So, I've seen that. He is well dressed. So, I think people are going to be surprised about Matt Milano, and I think I don't think thirteen million dollars a year is a weird number for a weak side linebacker in a four three defense who is a above average to very good weak side linebacker. I think a lot of people are kind of writing Milano off, willing to let him walk, but when he does get paid. I don't think that's flabbergasting to me. I don't think it's shocking if he ended up getting $13 million a year. When you look at Milano versus Shaq Thompson, and you look at the value of that position, specifically in a Sean McDermott defense, am I crazy, Greg? Or is $13 million a year maybe on the table for Matt Milano? It absolutely is. And I've begrudgingly inched basically a million dollars almost by month, it seems in the during the season, I was kind of all right. Well, maybe we can sneak him for nine, maybe ten. And I'm like, all right, it's probably going to be three years, thirty three. And I'm like, oh yeah, maybe it's four years and forty eight. And now I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to be thirteen million a year. It's going to be four years and fifty two million, and that's just that's just what it's going to be. And it, it's one of those things where there's enough that the Jets really screwed the pooch with that C.J. Mosley deal, and that. No one's going to give anyone $17 million a year for an off-ball linebacker, but agents just get to wave that around now that, hey, look, this is what's out there. Don't let your guy get to market because they're throwing this kind of money around. And I, I don't think anybody else is that obscene to pay an off-ball linebacker $17 million, but it's enough that it's, a, you know, it's that rising tide lifts all boats and there's enough other deals out there. And like you said, he is more replaceable than Deanne Dawkins, but that doesn't mean he's replaceable. You know, there are guys in this draft that I really like. I love uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither, and I got to interview him at the Senior Bowl. Um, He's a player that I see a lot of parallels from that kind of, is he a safety, is he a linebacker, sideline to sideline speed, enough movement to be able to get there. I actually think there's a fair amount of that in the Kyle Duggar and Jeremy Chin of the world that, you know, what position are they really? That, you know, it's out there, but there's no guarantee that they step in and do that. Heck, I, one of my more uh, laughable uh, 
former I like to take your medicine Mondays. I'll show out some different uh, takes that I had in the past. I was way higher on Tanner Vallejo than I was on Matt Milano. Um, so it just shows that, you know, sometimes things pan out like that and you don't know that you're going to be able to replace him. So, you know, some of the injury history I think is fair to worry about. It is a slightly more replaceable position. I could see that being the reason that he gets closer to two or three years where Dion and Trey might get five or even six years. Um, I, I think that that could be a factor here, but I do think that it's going to be a bigger number than many fans are prepared for. And I, I think 13 is, is right there. I agree with you about the CJ Mosley contract. I will admit that I was personally offended by the CJ <laughs> Mosley contract. I, I was, it, it offended my numeric sensibilities when I saw what he got paid. And I saw recently that the uh, the amount of guaranteed money in that deal is still $14 million a year higher than the next closest player at <sighs> off-ball linebacker. It is simply, it's simply absurd what it, the well, Jets it, did in the way. And, and the idea that, you know, Bills Mafia was not being homerish when after the offseason last year, they were like, what are the Jets doing? The Jets didn't build around Donald as well as the Bills built around Allen with that free agency period. But Jets fans just they saw Le'Veon Bell. They saw the money and they went, yeah, absolutely. And like, they don't have a line. You have no line. And then they pull a center out of retirement and they think he's better than Mitch Morris. And it's a whole mess. But <laughs> needless to say, I'm yeah. here for it. I am here for literally all the Jets bashing that you could possibly have. If you have any more Jets bashing before we move on, now would be a good time. Um, they, they threw some weird money at, at, uh, Brian Poole. They, they threw some weird money at a couple that, you uh, talk about embarrassing things to work their way out of. I'm pretty sure Tremaine Johnson's career earnings are like 70 million. I don't know that he's ever actually been good. Uh, there's a couple of fun ones that are out there. And, and the fact that they did pay George Fant $30 million to apparently play tackle. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but yeah, it's, it's going to be fun that, uh, They've gotten very little talent added to an already questionable roster. So, you know, a Adam Gase is the gift that keeps on giving. I hope I hope they make him a coach for a lifetime. I really do. I hope <laughs> they just give him a lifetime contract and he just stays there forever. And we can all just call him Wyatt until, you know, the, the, the called Manish Wyatt until the, the day they both go off into the sunset together. But moving along. So we talked about extensions. We, we understand where the framework there lies, but there are still some other names that popped up today and have been popping up as far as Bill's interest. I want to lump these two together because we we understand that we came into this offseason with a need at RB2. I don't think Bill's fans would be overly enthused if TJ Yeldon is the unquestioned RB2 starting training camp, but there are some interesting names being floated out there right now. Most notably, Melvin Gordon, who has not found the market that he wanted since he held out with the Chargers, showed up and then had promptly rushed for 3.8 yards per carry. <laughs> and Todd Gurley, who was just released by the Rams and was having a discussion with Stefan Diggs on Twitter with some wonderful eyeball emojis. I love the fact that we're taking time to discuss the meaning of eyeball emojis on this podcast. I I'm dating myself here a little bit, but I, I, I simply I simply am dumbfounded by the fact that we're talking about eyeball, eyeball emojis on this podcast, but specifically your thoughts about the RB2 position in general, whether you would prefer to sign a free agent or draft someone, and then also Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. So I'm going to start this by saying 
I'm an enormous hypocrite that can talk myself into all kinds of things. Um, I started out adamant that we need to, and predicted we were going to sign a free agent running back. I also think we're going to draft one as well. Um, I'm okay if it's only a draft pick or only a signing, because I think it's reasonable to say that TJ Yeldon is a roster caliber NFL player. So I'm not concerned if he's still our RB3. I think we could upgrade from that. I'll, I'll throw out a name or two later that I think can do that. I also hate paying running backs, and I think that today is no possible better example of how poor of an investment that can be when you see Devontae Freeman get released, you see Todd Gurley get released with a fat paycheck to go away. He still took home plenty of money. They just cut their losses before another $10 million got tacked on. You see Melvin Gordon and his agent should be embarrassed for what they turned down from uh, the Chargers last year because the rumor was they got offered pretty much the Le'Veon Bell deal, the three years, $45 million, and he thought somehow he was going to get more or a longer term or higher guarantee, and that is looks laughable now. Um, so I, I think that reinforces the fact of investing high dollars into running backs is a terrible investment. However, I'm also one who tries to help find the middle ground that I think some fans, and and specifically I think this is where some of the overlap of fantasy football into the Twitter dialogue of football has muddied the waters, and you get into the idea that running backs don't matter. And I think the confusion is running backs are very replaceable. That doesn't mean they don't matter. That doesn't mean that high-talent running backs aren't better than the fact that there's a lot of roster caliber running backs out there. And that now, if that market is getting suppressed because of just the general acceptance across the board that, hey, nobody's going to pay running backs anymore. Well, now all of a sudden there's a little bit of a zag when everyone else is zigging element to that, that, hey, if we invested all this money in our you know, wellness centers and recovery, and I, I think it's reinforced that at the end of the year, you saw five or six guys have pretty serious surgeries that they were all able to play through because of our facilities and our ability to maintain and, and keep people's bodies up to where they need to be. Then all of a sudden, if you take the price tag away from a Todd Gurley and a Melvin Gordon and you add in our facilities and you add in the combination of, hey, can you come in and give us 40% of the snaps and Singletary can take 60%? And can we now manage that to where the dollar figure and the maintenance and the touches net out? Well, then all of a sudden, now you're just talking about, hey, that is a material noticeable upgrade to a TJ Yeldon or to that caliber of Frank Gore for last year that we saw that just because running backs are replaceable doesn't mean they don't matter. We needed better than him down the stretch last year. So I, I had completely set my mind on the Carlos Hydes, the Peyton Barbers, the Isaiah Crowells of the world for a thumper to take the higher impact, higher leverage carries off of Singletary and to stretch out his, um, availability and, and let some of those worse rough rough and tumble carries go to those guys or 
the Dion Lewis's or the CJ Procise of the world to be uh, somewhat of or Chris Thompson to be an upgrade for TJ Yeldon and all to be at, Hey, dangle $2 million out there. And whoever says yes, gets it. But now, all right, if you're telling me I can get that kind of replaceable level for 2 million, or if we stretch a little bit, you could get what I'll convince myself. And again, this is the talking myself into it. Can we get an elite talent for six million? All right, that'd be awful nice to have an elite talent for six million. That's a pretty doable price tag. And now all of a sudden, those kind of things are in play. And I'm curious to see. I, I have a feeling that Bean is in a somewhat similar position, and that I I feel pretty firmly that he planned on signing a running back to a pretty cheap deal, and is now debating, huh? how far out of my original planned budget for that spot am I willing to go if it's someone that's worth stretching a little bit for and we're all going to find out together. So I hold a gun to your head, Mr. Tom said, and I make you choose the same financial deal. Let's say one year, $6 million. You can give it to Melvin Gordon or you can give it to Todd Gurley. Where you, where's your head at? So I think the safer choice is Melvin Gordon. The knee is really scary. The only reason I could see is that if you're doing this, it's already an upside swing. It's already stabbing at a really big run and that you're already banking on our facilities and our wellness program and our maintenance and that I think the upside of Todd Gurley is maybe a slight notch above Melvin Gordon. And then that if it was a multi-year deal or we needed them to be the bell cow and the new primary in the offense, I could see why Tampa Bay might prefer Melvin Gordon. I can see why Atlanta might prefer Melvin Gordon. But on the one year, if we're just taking a stab at it and it's already you know, kind of risky, I think there's a little more upside in what the explosive big plays can be and that we can bank on if we maintain and manage Todd Gurley at a 40% clip with our program, what that could add and those explosive breakaway plays and the NFL network showing his like a uh, free agency spotlight game against Tampa Bay, where I think he goes for like five touchdowns. Um, it's on right now. Um, it's, it's tantalizing to think if we're going to try to catch lightning in a bottle, Let's make it a big bolt. Now, am I understanding you correctly that if you start to take the years and you go from one year to two year to three year, your opinion starts to slide pretty significantly toward Melvin Gordon? It, it would for sure. It would for sure. If it was anything where they're trying to pair him up longer term, and, and I do think that's not an unreasonable deal that, hey, if we're trying to give a landing spot that we'd like a little bit of a team option kind of thing later on that if we hit on something here we have that melvin gordon is the safer choice the the health and the the maintenance there i think there's enough to guess that the chargers debacle of a line was there because the year before he was right there 5.1 yards of carry and the explosive 10 touchdown guy that we'd seen in the past so i think there's probably a higher prop the floor is higher for melvin gordon but if we're already taking an upside swing i'll, I'll go for the ceiling on the one-year deal okay so one of the other names that our friends at nyupstate.com have discussed and have sourced 
that the Bills have talked about is Richard Higgins, former Cleveland Brown, who had a decent year in 2018, you know, over 500 yards receiving in 2018 before falling significantly out of favor which with the coaching staff and catching four passes in 2019. Higgins is being no, is known as being a little bit of a freelancer. Now, which can either be good or bad, depending on your particular tastes in route runners. How do you feel about Higgins as wide receiver four? And what kind of contract would you be comfortable with the Bills offering? It just so happens that he was one of the guys I did my research on coming into free agency. And I was looking for, anytime I go to free agency, I usually just sort the column by age and work my way down (laughs) trying to find guys. Okay, who's not old and already over the hill? Um, So I narrowed in on four guys that were coming off their rookie deals and had a reason of either elite talent in front of them or a mod of, you know, mediocre passing game that held down their production to give me a reason to think, hey, is there some hidden upside still left here? And it was uh, Tajay Sharp out of Tennessee. It was Geronimo Allison in Green Bay, um, Demarcus Robinson in Kansas City. And my choice and the one I predicted in my article was Richard Higgins out of Cleveland. Um, I know you and I both have an interesting perspective. You physically living there and me going to college in Cleveland and having my entire you know, every guy our age has that group text that has like 10,000 text messages back and forth that <laughs> you'd be horrified if anybody saw. All of mine are six other guys from Cleveland and then me. Um, I, all I remember all season was, oh my God, why isn't Richard Higgins playing? I can't believe they're not playing him. What is wrong with them? Um, and that I know they were really big on him. You see the production from the previous year. There was enough mess debacle with Freddie Kitchens that I'm going to chalk it up as it was less on him and more on them of why he didn't produce in 19. And I'll take a shot on that. I predicted it at the time at three years, 12 million. Now that he hasn't been signed a couple days into free agency, maybe it's still at that around that rate. Maybe you get it to two years and 7 million and it's four in the first year. Um, But that range three to 4 million, I think you could snag for something like that. And that there's enough flash on film that you could see it. The only reason I'm concerned about it is he's not getting paid now because he didn't get a lot of snaps and a lot of routes run. Is he ready to sign on where you have three very established top three targets in place and likely a draft pick coming in six weeks? Is, is he ready to sign on for that? I would love it to have him there. And then also to go after a size guy and Michael Pittman, a chase Claypool and Antonio Gandy golden, whoever. And, I think that's a phenomenal top five receivers and I would love it. I'm curious if that's what he's looking for, if he's looking to recoup value, but um, I, I think he makes a ton of sense. I think he actually would be phenomenal to mentor behind Stefan Diggs because they have a lot of that freestyle flow to their route running that, you know, and not quite as crazy freelance as what Stevie Johnson was, but that, Hey, I'm not exactly sure, but he gets to the right spot at the right time. And that works. And who better to mirror yourself after than Stefan Diggs, who's somehow turned that into being the best route runner in the NFL. So we did a lot of work. And one of the things that Joe Marino locked on bills draft network had talked about multiple times before coming, we came into free agency was Brandon beans going to make you forget about a lot of needs. That was one of the things he talked about. Well, one of the needs that we can say clearly is taken care of is wide receiver one. And then everything else 
you know, they've been lessened a little bit, you know, defensive tackle, defensive line needs in general have been lessened a little bit, but that doesn't mean we don't still have needs going into the draft, going to this part of free agency. So let's talk a little bit about the way that the moves that we've made thus far impact your particular view of the draft and view of what the targeted players are going to look like. So as we go into the draft, a lot of discussion was based around the wide receivers. Ostensibly, we all knew there was going to be a receiver at some point in the first or second round. Well, we used our first round pick to get a receiver, and I guarantee he's not going to be a bust. I can promise you he will be productive in the NFL, and it's Stephon Diggs. But that shifts the narrative. Like, once we start getting back to draft discussion, because it's been the last week has been nothing but free agency. Once Bill's Mafia shifts back into draft mode, it won't sound the way it sounded two weeks ago. It'll sound completely different now. And I think a lot of the discussion is going to start to change. Talk to me a little bit about how you think the narrative is going to change as it comes to needs and 54 and targets and the third round pick and what our approach is going to be and whether or not we're still going to have the tendency to move and things like that. Just high level, how do you think free agency affects the narrative around the draft? So, I mean, wide receiver is easily the most, the simplest one to explain because before I, I got into this with a couple guys in our Slack channel who were talking through, like, all right, well, I still, let's go after Richard Higgins and then we could draft two guys and then we could build that up. I said, wait, 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 we don't need to do that. I said, the reason that I was so adamant about multiple stabs at it here was a young upside free agent coming off of his rookie deal, two guys out of a historic class, because if we draft those three, there's a chance one of them might maybe someday almost be Stefan Diggs. Now we have that guy. <laughs> we don't need yeah. to now take, I wasn't doing it because we needed three guys to all plug in. It was that that's such a critical role. I'm willing to take three stabs at getting what we just got. So now, you know, and, and the same thing comes up with predicting Richard Higgins. Like that's a nice luxury, but you know, we got three guys who are going to get the snaps. Whoever we draft, I, they're not going to play all that much because those three guys are going to get a ton of snaps from where we're at, you know, obviously pending health. Um, so let alone drafting two guys or signing a guy and drafting two guys. It just, I, I don't know how much is there. It's still a historic draft class. I want to take advantage of that. I think that means we could get a guy in the fourth or fifth round that would have been a second or third rounder in any other draft class. That sounds great. I want that. I want to take advantage of that. That's just smart business to take advantage of, to add on to there. Plus, Brown and Beasley are both 30, so it makes sense to do that anyways. But before, I think fans saw that is when, and I think you guys have talked about the double dip and, and things like that in the draft. I think so much of that was assuming that it was because we needed both of them to immediately play versus it was simply doubling our odds. I want two lottery tickets, so if I scratch off one of them, one of them can hit. And I think that that's lessened now. So I'm okay dialing that back. I'm okay if it's a Higgins and the draft pick. I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right if it's two draft picks. But I think the domino effect of a 26-year-old under contract for four years in the prime of his career as a absolute number one receiver pushing John Brown into a well above average wide receiver two and Cole Beasley is an elite wide receiver three slot is perfect and we're good and that's we can run that for three years in a row here happily I, I think that that's going to work well so I, that's great anything above there's gravy but I think that does significantly shift that to where 
you know, I I need it to be Brandon Ayuk or Denzel Mims or Justin Jefferson or a really strong value sliding to 54 for me not to want a speed defensive end, an elite corner, something like that. Maybe an Ezra Cleveland even to, you know, someone from a tackle standpoint. I would need it to be a slam dunk, can't deny it, wide receiver value at 54 just because I think that was such a great add that it allows us that luxury to look beyond there. Um, I think the rest of the spots that people are considering, I hear a lot about running back at 54, and don't get me wrong, if Swift or Dobbins or Taylor make it there, they are pretty special talent. That sounds all right. I, I just would be shocked if our top draft pick from this class is is a running back and that with the other elite talents that we need, I think there's so much talent in that cornerback group. We now let Kevin Johnson leave for Cleveland today, brought in an aging Josh Norman. I think that cornerback is, is a really strong spot and I, I would encourage Bill's mafia to do a lot of mocking of that second tier of cornerback at 54. Uh, if it was me predicting it. Okay. So that leads us really well into the final thing we're going to talk about, which is, we're going to rank, you're going to do it first, then I'm going to do it. We're going to rank our personal beliefs on the remaining needs for this team. We're going to rank the following needs. Cornerback two, running back two, quarterback two, edge, wide receiver four, and tight end two. We're going to talk about these needs, whether or not you feel like they're significant needs, whether or not you feel that they're not even needs at all. I'm just going based entirely on narrative on the things that are out there for us to talk about. I'm not even going to put off-ball linebacker. There's some Kenneth Murray uh, fans back when we had the 22nd pick. Um, I'm not, we're not even going to go there right now, yeah. especially since we just signed an off-ball linebacker. We signed a second off-ball linebacker. I'm not even going to go there right now. I, I don't have the patience <laughs> for that right now. But go through, start with the least important need on that list I just gave you. Go all the way up to the most important le- need. Tell me what your thoughts are. All right. So I, I like this idea. I think it's, again, it's a healthy thought exercise to go through. And again, it's very similar to our discussion on Dawkins and Milano for the extension, because you're weighing positional importance versus existing depth versus available options. So I'll go in reverse order. I, I actually think I, I'm going to go tight end two as the least. Um, I am a reluctant Tyler Croft defender <laughs> in that I think he has, I think he's not as terrible as everyone makes him out to be. And I'm excited to see what he can do with a healthy off season. And I actually think he's a pretty high end tight end two. If Dawson Knox is a low end tight end one, I, I think that's fine. I think that the baseline that you get from Tommy Sweeney is very similar to it's okay to take a swing on, Another spot I'm going to talk about because you have a guy behind him, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. And then Lee Smith is still a good veteran. So I think we're fine there. You have Jason Kroom coming back healthy. I think there's enough to cobble together a tight end two out of Tyler Croft with a safety net of Sweeney and or Kroom. So I'll put that last. And the rest of the available tight ends are garbage anyways. Um, I'll put quarterback two next only because – I. If if we lose Josh, it's over anyways, <laughs> and I don't know that there's anybody. You know, I, I would have been okay if we took a stab at a Marcus Mariota. I wouldn't have been upset with that. Um, I don't want Andy Dalton's contract, but it's not actually 
the worst idea in the world when I when I was throwing out the crazy ideas of trying to absorb Nick Foles contract in order to gain a draft asset. A secret part of that was I think Nick Foles is a good amount better than Matt Barkley. Um, so I think quarterback two is a sneaky need, but we already need Josh to stay healthy. And if Barkley needs to come in for a half of a game, we're okay. If it's longer than that, I think we're in trouble. And I don't know that we can really afford any of the guys who would materially be better than Matt Barkley. Anyways, we're not going to sign Jameis Winston for a one-year backup, but it's just not going to happen. So I think we're kind of stuck already there. Um, again, separately, I wouldn't mind a late stab on Anthony Gordon because I think he can be an upgrade on Matt Barkley later in as he progresses. Next, I'm going to go wide receiver for, uh, again, outside of, I think it's a little more important than running back, but I think that our running back two is going to play more than our wide receiver four. So I think that with the historic draft class, we don't need to take a stab at receiver. Uh, all four of the guys that I mentioned, Tasha Sharp, Demarcus Robinson, Geronimo Ellison, and Richard Higgins are all available. One of those guys cheap and a draft pick. I think we're going to be able to cobble together some pretty good competition. We can bring back Isaiah McKenzie if he wants to. We already have Duke Williams and Robert Foster and Andre Roberts. Our baseline of who's going to net out as the best guy available at wide receiver four is already so high with what we have that I think we're fine and that anything above there is basically all upside of a draft pick. So I'm not all that concerned with where it is. Next, I'm going to go RB2 and that I do think, again, similarly, there's enough options available and whether we do take a stab at a shiny guy like Gordon or, or Gurley, or we take a step back and we go the pass catching route of Deion Lewis, Chris Thompson, CJ Proceis, or we go with the thumper like Carlos Hyde, like Peyton Barber, Isaiah Crowell. There's a ton of guys left. And I also think we can snag a guy like Antonio Gibson or AJ Dillon or Zach Moss or Clyde Edwards Hilaire. There's so many nice mid to later round running backs that we can snag one of them. We're going to cobble together a couple other guys. And that's without mentioning, you know, the obvious world-beating impact of Christian Wade. Then going on to the final two. <laughs> I, I know. I know I'm supposed to I know I'm supposed to let you go all the way through before I laugh. So I'm really sorry about that. But it was just it was the right amount of dryness to just kind of make me snort laugh a little bit. So I appreciate that. You may continue with your list without further interruption from Bruce in the peanut gallery. <laughs> no worries. It's uh the final two are similar i have cornerback and edge both left and they're both left because they're the most important but they're also you know i'm sure some fans right now are yelling at me that yeah but we already have multiple guys at every spot and, and they're right but i i still have concern is josh norman with the safety net of levi wallace good enough is you know, I, I don't think we know where Quentin Jefferson is going to play. You had a great question on on Twitter of asking Brandon Bede, and I was I was teasing about the empty answer that he would give us back if we asked anyways. Um, I'm curious where he plays. I love Mario Addison being added. I think he's an upgrade to Shaq Lawson. Um, I like the rotation that that allows the rest, and I'm assuming that the addition of Vernon Butler while maintaining the rest of the guys that are there tells me that Quentin Jefferson is more of a rundown base defensive end who kicks into three tech on third and long. And that leaves Trent Murphy still there, who is a luxury as your rotational third 
uh, fourth defensive end. You still have Daryl Johnson's upside. I just worry. I don't see any explosive speed juice from that group. So it really comes down to, I don't know that we have a lot of spending left. I think there's a couple names that are out there. You know, I, I wouldn't Daryl Worley out of, uh, you know, previously he was with the Raiders, but had some history with Carolina. Xavier Rhodes is out there. I think those are a couple names that are probably the only couple names. Maybe Ross Cockrell are a couple of the names that could compete with a Norman and Levi Wallace for playing time. If I think Worley has some nickel capability, I wouldn't mind pushing Taron Johnson. So there's some there. Most of my attention goes to the draft. I'd love to get a Bryce Hall, a Damon Arnett, a Trayvon Diggs, uh, you know, one of the, um, Michael Jamudia, you know, I think one of those kind of guys would make a lot of sense or flipping over. I love the tier that's available there at the speed rusher in the draft and that, you know, just praying that most likely a guy like Zach Bond or a Yeter Gross Matos won't make it to 54. But I think it's feasible that Terrell Lewis, Curtis Weaver, you know, one of those kind of Bradley and I, one of those kind of guys could make it to pick 54, Josh Uche, uh, you know, and they would give us that juice we're looking for in that group to be able to do it. So I'm going to go cornerback to his second most and edge our most because I still want some first step explosion added to that group. I don't think we're going to pay for any of the guys that are out there. I don't think we can anymore. I think we're out of that, that caliber of money for anybody who matters. So I'm going to go with cornerback two is my second most and edge is my most just because I think they're that important of a position. Okay. Well, I'm going to run through mine real quick and then we'll go ahead and wrap up starting at the bottom. I'm going to go TE two for a very similar reason to you. I actually think Tyler Croft's perfectly reasonable tight end two. In addition, this is understanding your team. The bills shifted to a lot more 11 personnel in the back half of last season. I don't think TE two is going to get a ton of snaps as much as I personally love 12 personnel and having two dynamic tight ends and the formations and the flexibility that it gives you to be able to pull them in tight, split them out wide. As much as I particularly prefer that, they do not share my love for 12 personnel. So because of that, I don't think it's worthy of investing significant assets in a position that I don't think is getting a lot of run. Wide receiver four is right above that. Wide receiver four right above that because I'm completely fine with Robert Foster as wide receiver four. I'm completely fine with Robert Foster and Duke Williams being four and five at that point. I, I, I'm okay, I'm completely okay with it. I, I obviously like to get a little bit more depth in that room, but if it, we went into camp and Robert Foster's wide receiver four, I'm okay with that. If you want to give Robert Foster the touches you gave to Isaiah McKenzie in the jet action motion, I'm good with that too. Next spot, I'm going QB two. I, I agree with you. I think if Josh goes down, we're pretty much toast, but I would very much like for that not to be the case. And I really, I'm one of those, just take a swing on a quarterback every year or two in the draft, in the later rounds. I understand you have a low, I understand you have a low probability in the later rounds. I get that. But there's a, there's a brucism that says that the amount you should worry about something is the probability of it happening multiplied by the impact of it happening. That's a brucism. And the probability of Josh Allen going down is not crazy based on his play style, how long he holds the ball, the hits he takes, the impact of him going down right now is absolutely catastrophic. Matt Barkley cannot lead us to 10 wins if Josh Allen were to go down week one. That's not something that can happen as such. You know, someone like a 
someone like a James Morgan, someone like an Anthony Gordon in the fifth round. Sign me up all day, every day. Next spot I'm going, I'm going with Edge. And Edge was your number one. Edge is my number three as far as most pressing needs. We need a body there, but there's really two things we need. We need youth and we need speed. So when you need aspects, it's different than needing talent because we have talent. I really think Quentin Jefferson is going to end up being an end for us. And I think that's a market upgrade. I think Addison and Jefferson and Hughes and Murphy right now is a much better defensive end room than we had last year. The problem is we're missing the traits. We're not missing the talent. We're not missing the bodies. We are missing the trait. We're missing the youth. We're missing the speed. If someone like Darrell Taylor is there in the third, sign me up all day long. I am I am all the way here for it. Next, the second most pressing need, I have RB2, which is weird coming from a guy who's not notably a, a running back fan, but I don't want TJ Yeldon getting meaningful carries, and I know it's going to happen. This is very similar to the tight end argument which is I understand that it's not my preference, but this is not about my preference. This is about the team. And the team has clearly said, we don't want one running back taking all of the carries. Sean McDermott used that over and over again to defend giving Frank Gore meaningful carries when we all didn't want him to get meaningful carries. So because I know that he's going to get 40% of the carries or 30% of the carries, RB2 moves up my list because I'm not okay with TJ Yeld in that spot. Number one in your programs and number one in my hearts, cornerback two. I don't think it's particularly close, to be honest, because as far as I'm concerned, I am operating under the assumption that Josh Norman will give us nothing. That's how my brain is currently operating right now. It's operating under the assumption that he will not recapture his form and he will end up being a liability in coverage. Now, if he doesn't end up being that, great. That's amazing. But even if he didn't end up being that, you still don't have any youth on the outside, unless you count Levi Wallace and you think that Levi Wallace is somehow not a capped player, which I would argue he absolutely is a capped player. We've seen everything he possibly has to give to us because of his athletic ceiling. So you're not just missing youth there. You're missing talent and you're missing bodies. So you don't have a CB2 I'm comfortable with and you don't have youth and you don't have talent. CB2 is my, I'm literally refreshing Twitter just going, please, come on, come on. Just do something with the CB2 spot. And it's not just because I'm a defensive backfield nerd. It's been widely established that I believe in coverage. I'm a huge cornerback and safety guy, but I'm just not comfortable with the positions that we're in right now with cornerback two for me, number one. Greg, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Where can the folks find you? Yeah, first, thank you. I, I appreciate it very much. This was a blast. I, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun jumping on here. So being able to uh, jump in and, and do my best uh, Nick impression, I, I hope I did 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 him proud. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Greg Thompson, G-R-E-G-T-O-M-P-S-E-T-T, usually in the CoverOne.net uh, premium Slack channel. I'll be messing around in there. And I know uh, I've said this on each of my shows before that we're all using this as – our escape from the realities of the day and you know this is certainly not a uh, political or a media driven rant of, of how serious to take it or what to do but simply to ask everybody please be kind to each other be considerate be thoughtful of the people around you check in on your family members check in on your neighbors do what you need to do to make sure that uh, you can get through this because we're all going to need to do it together so i wish everybody to be safe and to take care of each other and uh hopefully we'll uh get back to our version of normal as soon as possible well said Greg. i appreciate you being here man and i appreciate you taking time out of your night 
thank you. Talk to you guys soon. All right, Bill's Mafia. I've got one last thing for you. It's really, really important I tell you this because if I don't tell you this, I don't know if you're going to be able to sleep tonight. And so I'm going to say this thing. It's not going to be quite as eloquent as what Greg said, but I think it will hit you in a really emotional place. And it's this. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. (laughs) 